I'm Matt. As Thad said, Happy New Year. Uh, last week we started a new series, Right on the Money. Uh, this is a topic that Jesus talked a lot about, like a lot, a lot about. More than he talked about heaven or hell, he talked about money. And why would that be? Why would the Lord talk to his disciples about money? And it's because he knows that the things that we have have a hold on our hearts. That where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And God has, has sent his son to transform us and transform our hearts. And that means that we've got to take a look at getting right on the money. Jesus said a lot of things about money. One of the things he said, one of the most famous things he said is, is this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is my treasure? Where is my heart? The things that I love and it get me excited and the things that I'm hoping in and trusting in and looking forward to, are they things on earth? Are they tied to material possessions? Or is my heart set on the things that God's heart is set, in, set on? Things of heaven. Money reveals my heart. It reveals your heart. And you know this, right? You've heard this probably many times. You know, where do you spend your time, your talent, your treasure? That tells you what you really value. And so where our heart is, is a big deal to God because the Lord Jesus is leading his followers somewhere. He's leading us into a future where we can glorify God and enjoy him forever. He's leading us into eternity. There's a time where heaven and earth, God's space and our space will be one space where God will wrap up the history and allow us to live with him and his people forever on a good earth. It's going to be a great day. In the Bible, it's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And God is getting us ready for the marriage by helping us get right on the money. It's a part of what he's doing in our lives. But the problem is, is we get trapped. And today we're going to talk about a trap that all of us can fall into. It's a trap so you don't see it. That's why it's a trap. And the trap is allowing our hope to shift, allowing our hope to shift from the giver to the gift. When we start putting our hope in the things that we have rather than in God who gives them, it traps us and causes all sorts of problems. So we don't want our hope to shift from the giver to the gift. And, and this is hard to do. God knows it's hard to do. We're constantly being deluged with advertisements all the time, like this stuff here, right? I got this from the mail. Apparently, denim's in, and I need some more denim, right? I think this is this denim. I think it's denim, but I need denim. And I need denim, uh, and apparently I also need to resurface the back patio and put in a pool. But don't worry, because while I do that, I can also enjoy my new couch that I'm going to buy, which is on the same advertisement. That's amazing. Right? So I'm enjoying my couch, and then I get to enjoy some nice choice cuts of meat on my couch with my denim waiting for the pool. And uh, this one was my favorite. It's your money. It's your voice. It's your choice. Yes. Yes. Right? This stuff is constantly flooding my mailbox. And then there's Amazon, who's just always telling me what to buy. Hey, I saw you buy a spatula. Would you, would you like to buy this too? Hey, I, I think you'd like this all the time. And then Google's listening to me. I'm not crazy. You could be in the middle of the desert, like no cell phone, having a conversation with someone in a whispered voice about snails. And then all of a sudden you take your phone out and every advertisement and social scroll is like, would you like a snail shirt? Would you like to buy your son a snail doll? 
Did you know you could eat snails? It's called escargot. It's just constant all the time. Advertisements, advertisements, advertisements. And the net effect of this is you're not going to be happy. You can't be content. You're not going to feel safe unless you have more stuff. And to a degree, I guess that's true. I mean, got to eat, got to sleep, got to have clothes. That's true. But what's really going on is that we're constantly getting pushed 24-7, 365. Our hope is being pushed, pushed, and shifted away from God who gives to the gifts that he gives. And this is a real trap. And so from the very beginning of the Bible, as God is communicating who he is to the people he's made, he is telling us, something very important about the kind of person he is. In fact, knowing who God is is a cure to all sorts of problems if we will trust and follow and get to know this God. And so from the very beginning, opening the book of the Bible, very beginning, the book of Genesis, God is revealing to us something really big that we need to know and experience, which is God is a generous, generous giver. God is a giver. So in in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in chapter 1, it starts off with God created the heavens and the earth, then he created the earth, and then there's the sea and the animals, and he gets to the crescendo, which is day 6. It's the the creation of the human race, all of us. It's the origin of the species. It's where we come from. And here's the account. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill and subdue the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit within it. It's all yours for food. And we can read this story because we're familiar with it. And it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It's a very familiar experience for me. But if I slow down and think about it, God is generous, man. He didn't have to make everything, but he did. And then he entrusts this world to us. He gives it to the human race to rule and reign over. And he gives them their food. And he's like, Adam, you look lonely. This is Eve. I've made her for you. And I've made you for her. And you, by the way, can have kids. And we think this is all just, you know, normal stuff. But this is a great gift. God is generously giving. He's creating. He's sustaining. He's providing. And this seems to be the creation, the world around us that God has made. It seems to be a powerful reason why Jesus keeps telling us, his followers, stop freaking out about this stuff. Because when you look around, you see all of God's generous giving, generous provision. You're safe. You're okay. You don't have to freak out. And so Jesus says things like this. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat and drink and what your body's going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds. Look at these birds flying around. They don't sow or reap. They don't have Amazon accounts, right? They don't have an extra fridge in their garage just in case. They don't have that. They don't store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more more valuable than they? How many birds are you worth? You ever thought about that? Like you're, you're a kid and you know your parents love you, but your dad's like on the phone. He's like, well, for that number of, of parrots and cockatoos and sparrows, I might let you have my son for a little bit. Right? I mean, you have way more worth than birds. And when you see a bird flying around like the bird, it's, it's a testimony. It's like God saying, you're okay. 
I'm going to take care of you. I've taken care of these birds. I'm going to take care of you. And so we don't have to worry because of who God is. He is a generous giver, and he wants to take good care of all that he's made. And when this truth soaks in, it begins to break your heart free from the hope in stuff. And so if we don't let this thing, if we don't shift our hope back, if we we don't uh, protect the things that we're hoping in, then very soon the things that we have, they begin to have us. And they begin to rob us of the joy that God wants us to have in our lives. And he does want us to enjoy them. He wants us to enjoy the gifts he gives. This is something else you learn about God as you read the Bible regularly. God gives gifts to enjoy, which is awesome. It's not like God is you know, keeping us in a prison, like solitary confinement, and just giving us enough to survive. That's a picture some people have about God. He's mad at me, and yeah, you know, he loves me, I guess, and he gives me a little bit, but he's not happy about it. That's not God. God wants you to enjoy what you have. He does. And so he says it again and again in the scriptures. Here's a a passage where, where God says that. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who generously provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives it to us to enjoy. And he doesn't just give it to us to enjoy. He also enables us to enjoy the things we have. Look, I could have everything in this stack and I could not have joy. And I could have nothing in that stack and have joy. It turns out that happiness and contentment and a sense of well-being is actually itself a gift from God. It's easy to think that happiness is, is tied up in the things that I have. But actually, contentment with what I have is a gift that God gives. And there are many people who have many things, but they don't have the ability to enjoy them. That's why this next passage is so cool. I, I, I remember when I first read this, it just blew my mind. It's from a book written uh, by a king, a very powerful and wealthy king, this guy named Solomon. And he could basically do and buy whatever he wanted. And so he went on this quest to find out what is really worth living for. And as he reflected on some of the things that God was teaching him through this quest, he said this. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot, and be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. This is a very different perspective on happiness, on contentment, on joy. We, we, in our culture, that stuff is the key to being happy. But according to what God says, he's the key to being happy. You all have cell phones. I don't have mine on me. So you know what the word enabled means. You got these notifications and you can disable them and you can enable them. God enables you to enjoy the things that he gives. And so what's really sad to see is in a culture like ours with so many people with so much abundance, so much unhappiness. And this is what you see. There's actually a study done recently in MarketWatch. And uh, here's where some of the pull quotes, pull quotes from the study. It says, um, could you scroll down a little bit to the market watch? Uh, there you go. New research shows the richer we get, the less happy we become. A study published this month in the journal Nature Human Behavior. It found that once we reach a certain household income, about $105,000 in the United States, about $95,000 globally, more income tended to be associated with a reduced life satisfaction and a lower level of well-being. More money, more isolation. As we move up this income ladder, 
we often become more isolated. Indeed, research summarized by the Harvard Business Review concluded that wealth is isolating. Psychologically, the acquisition of wealth, more generally possessions, that signal high status, they make us want to distance ourselves from others. This may be due to a feeling of competition and selfishness. It may also be because, quite simply, we don't need other people to survive the way we did when we were poorer. Whatever the reason, the wealthier we get, the less value social connectedness has for us. And that eats into our overall sense of well-being. This new study is saying what God has said for thousands of years. You may have the stuff, but you're not going to have the satisfaction. Because I don't just give you the stuff. I give you the ability to enjoy it. And that's a very important truth. There's a lot of people who have wasted a lot of years chasing after things that are not going to make them happy. And God doesn't want that for us. He has way bigger plans for your life. Whatever age you are, you, you, God has plans for your life. And he knows that if your heart's all wrapped up around stuff, you're not going to be able to enjoy his plan for your life. And I've seen this. I remember I met a lotto winner one time. It's like a a unicorn sighting. You know, you never see it, but you know they're out there. And I was playing, uh, playing baseball at Field of Dreams. And this guy was sitting in the stands and I was talking to him after the, the game, trying to share Christ with him. Asking him what he did for work, and he's like, yeah, I used to be a mechanic, but now I don't work because I won the lotto. I'm like, whoa, what's that like? And he's like, yeah, it's not as great as you think. You know, I bought some stuff, I went on vacation, paid for my mom's house, but all my family wants the money, and uh, I'm just kind of bored. So I just, I played baseball here at Field of Dreams for five days a week. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) that's not what I expected you to say. But why not? Because it's not like you can't be happy if you win the lottery, but so many lottery winners are not happy. And the reason why is the gift is not the ability to enjoy it. God gives that. And so is that it? You know, we just, God's going to give us the ability to enjoy the gift. And if I just get my mind right with God, I'll just enjoy the gift. No, God has much more in store. He gives you gifts to enjoy them, but he also gives you gifts to transform you. He gives you gifts to glorify him. He wants to make you like him. That's what we just read in the origin story. Remember that paragraph I just read? In our image, in our likeness. God is a father. He wants his children to be like him, right? I have a father and a mother, and they have characteristics and qualities, things they say and do that I do, right? You can see the similarities between us. That's what God wants for us, his children, and he wants us to become cheerful givers. God wants us to become cheerful givers, right? Not begrudging givers, not reluctant givers, but cheerful givers, And so in a letter written to one of his churches in the first century, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under some kind of compulsion because you had to because you felt guilty for God loves a cheerful giver because he's a cheerful giver. And so why does God want me to be a cheerful giver? Why does he want my wife to be a cheerful giver? My kids, Kanye West, everybody he made in the history of the world, because that's what he is. He is the kind of person who gladly, out of his love, is constantly giving. And that's the life that he's living right now. And you can be a part of his life right now if you'll join him in his life right now. And what's he doing? He's giving. How's he giving? Cheerfully. So you want to be with him? You want to be like him? This is one of his characteristics and qualities. I I want to be. It's not easy, right? And so it's easy to think, you know what? God is abundant. He has so much stuff. It's easy for God to say, be a cheerful giver. But look at me. I got so many years left on the shot clock. I have so much money in my bank account. God is abundant. He can make a thousand worlds and never run out of juice to make a thousand more. 
I give sacrificially. God gives out of his abundance. That's actually not true. It's true God is, he's got a lot of power, right? There's like big words for, for that. But I think most people, when they think of God, they think powerful. There's one thing God only had one of. There's one thing that God only had one of. And that was a son who loved him back the way that he loves us. There's only one son that God had on this earth. Only one man who ever loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Only one person who ever honored God and delighted in God more than anything. And that was his son, Jesus Christ. The most precious thing to God. The most precious relationship that God had. The, 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 the most important thing. And what did God do with it? He gave it away. He gave away that relationship so that we could come into a relationship with God. And so in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what that means. God gives sacrificially. He gives out of his lack and out of his abundance. And in another place, um, you see that Jesus himself was not dragged to the cross. Jesus wasn't like pulled, kicking, and streaming to be a sacrifice for us. Jesus said, I came not to serve, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I love you. I want to give you what you need. And so what Christ did, what Jesus did was he took the punishment and the, the debt and all of the, the wrath of God that our lives lived independently from God, at war with God, against God's law, against God's ways, a life lived like we're the king and this is our world and we're going to rule it how we want, the way we want. And nobody would say that's their attitude until you start reading the Bible. And God starts holding up this standard, and you start realizing, oh, that really does describe me. And all of that, and all the punishment for that was poured out on the son. And all the riches and gifts and good things that, what would you give to a son or a daughter or a child that you love with all your heart and loves you back? What would you give everything to them? And that's not what Christ got. He didn't get all that good stuff. You and I get that good stuff. It's an exchange, and you can have it if you want it. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing. God is a cheerful, generous, sacrificial giver. And so he wants us to be cheerful givers. And that means he wants us to give to those in need. He wants us to give to the mission. He wants us to give sacrificially. I've seen people give uh, great sacrifices here at Church in the Valley. You know, in fact, one of the great things about being a part of a, a church like Church in the Valley is that I, I have experienced people's generosity but I've also seen people and just the way that they give. And when you, when you sit down with people, one of the things you, you learn why is because they're grateful to God. They, it's an expression of, of worship, of devotion. They're glad to do it. And this is something that God wants to be characteristic of all of his children. He wants all of his kids to be just like that. And so one of the things that God did was he said, I'm going to save the human race. I'm going to bring them back into the family. They have, they have been orphans, and I'm going to bring them back in. The way I'm going to do this is I'm going to take everybody, all the tribes and tongues and nations in the world, I'm going to slice off one, just one, one nation, and I'm going to work through them to bring this message of hope to everybody. And that nation has a name, Israel. And God took that nation, and he, he gave them a land where they could live, houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant. All of this was symbolic of just what it means to live in the abundance provision of God. 
It's like a picture to the world that people who have a relationship with this God are blessed. And then he gave them some laws, some rules, because, you know, he knows how we are, right? He knows how we're constantly being tempted to fix and make our hope shift from the giver to the gift. He knows how we are. And so he gives these commands. One of the commands is in Deuteronomy. It says, if anyone is poor among you or fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend whatever, uh, lend to them whatever they need. And I remember we had, um, one time there was, a, there was a, a family at Church in the Valley, and uh, they, they were short financially. They needed a couple thousand dollars to, to pay bills. And the community group that they were a part of, at our church we have groups that meet weekly, and we call them community groups. They're an opportunity for us to encourage each other, to build each other up, to keep our faith strong because we're constantly being, you know, it's hard. It's hard to maintain your focus on Christ. And uh, by the way, our community groups are open. And if you're interested in, in learning more about that, put that on the connection card. We'd love to help you join a community group. But anyway, one of these community groups found out about the need, and the people gave several thousand dollars in like a week. In fact, one couple, and I know this is true for many of you, in addition to the tithes and offerings, in addition to the first fruits, the, the Bible calls it the tithe. It's, it's 10% of what I make as a symbol that all that I have is God's, and all that I have has been given from God, and so God asked for less than the federal government. Somebody needs to tell the federal government that soon, because April's coming. Just uh, if anybody knows Trump, you can make a phone call. Anyway, that's not relevant. Uh, this family, they set aside, in addition to the tithe, a certain amount of money each month just to give away to those in need. And the reason why they did that was because their treasure is in heaven, because they want to, they want to be like their father. They want to experience that life. I remember our family, we, we've been given loans. I remember one time we needed $2,000 to get from one house to another. I didn't have it. I was going to have it, but I didn't have it. Called up a friend, said, could you, could you lend me $2,000? <laughs> sure, no problem. What do you need to buy? And you, you live here, and you be a part of a church, you plug into a church, and you see God's spirit working, and it really, it really strengthens your faith to become a giver who gives to those in need. And then there's this, the mission. God wants us to give towards his mission. The mission is what we've been talking about. Uh, I, I wasn't a Christian, and I made a mess of my life. And it was because I was cut off from my heavenly father. Because no matter how much I tried to change, I didn't have the willpower. I didn't have the strength. My mind was full of all sorts of things that were counterproductive. It was like I was walking in the dark. And then Christ came into my life through people like you. And these people shared the truth with me. And over time, I began to understand what it meant to get back into a relationship with God, that Jesus Christ was the center. At a certain point, I was willing to follow him. And that was when my life really began to change. I'm grateful for that. Somebody had been pushing the mission out, and I benefited. And God wants us to do that too. And one of the ways he does that is we give financially to it because it, it, it costs money to do stuff. It costs money to build Bernie's campaign and Trump's campaign and whatever campaign. It costs money to push out a message and, more importantly, to have people whose full-time attention is on that work. And it's a worthy cause. And so one of the things that you find in the New Testament is that the Apostle Paul, who was a first-century church planter, he would go around starting churches in the Mediterranean, and then he would tell this church over here, what God was doing in this church over here. And one time, um, one of the churches he planted was a church in a place called Philippi. And they were getting hammered by people. Like, it was real persecution. But they were giving still to the mission. They were still funding Paul so he could go out and spread the message more places. And here's what Paul said. He said, I am amply supplied, 
Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift that, that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. They were funding Paul's mission work further into the Roman Empire. The gospel was spreading. More people were coming to Christ. And this is why we do a Christmas offering. This is why we're com- contributing to other ministries because we want the mission to go forward. We want what God has done in our life. But we want him to do that in other people's lives. There's still a kind of giving beyond that, though, a sacrificial giving. And that sacrificial giving is, is hard. But once again, Paul commends one of the churches that uh, Philippi, you know, the church I just talked about, they gave not just out of their abundance but out of their lack. And he told another church, the Corinthian church, take a look at what God is doing. Look, look what they're doing. They're giving out of their lack. They're sacrificially giving. And so he says this to the church in Corinth. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty, it welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Even beyond their ability. And he testified to that earlier. You can't outgive God. But really what, what P, uh, Paul was saying is these, these churches are demonstrating <laughs> what it means to give sacrificially and cheerfully. And they were doing this because there was churches back home in Jerusalem where the whole thing got started and they were going through famine and persecution. They couldn't pay their bills. And so all these churches in the Mediterranean were raising funds to send to the churches in Jerusalem to people they had never met. And they were glad to do it because God was working in them. So God wants me. He wants my family. He wants you. He wants everybody he's made to be like him. He wants us to be givers, cheerful givers, and to experience the life and the abundance. He doesn't want to take away all the gifts. Actually, he wants to enable you to enjoy the gifts. But you won't if you let your hope shift from the giver to the gift. And so what are you hoping in? What are you hoping in? Does your hope need to shift towards the giver, away from the gift? How would you know? Well, I'd like to give you just a a tool, maybe, to help you kind of evaluate where you are. Throughout this message series, we're going to be talking about kind of different spots you can be in when it comes to getting right on the money. And you may be on in, in one of these four spots. So the first one is, you may be struggling. You're just struggling to really make Christ the master of your money. You're just not sure that you can give God all of your life. It's easy to want to give God a slice. But to actually say that all that I have is his and I'm willing to say to the Lord, I want to use my time, talent, and yes, even my treasure. I want to use that for whatever you're calling me to. That's, that's hard to do. I've been there. But if I'm struggling, my hope in the gift is big and my hope in God is small. I'm worried about, well, if I give this, if I, if I give over control, who's going to take care of me? And that's a legitimate question. Who's going to take care of me? But that's also a question that alley cats and orphans ask. It's not a question that people who are well taken care of and loved and cared for by their father have to worry about. And the more you get to know God as the giver and the father and the one who loves you and takes care of you, and the more you begin to see all that God is doing for you, the freer you start to feel and the less you've got to hold on because God is going to take good care of you. He's a generous giver. The second place you may be is stabilizing. And that's like when you realize all that I have is the Lord's and I want to steward it well. I want to manage it well. I'm going to direct every dollar. That's hard to do, right? You start to make a budget, try not to budge. Things come up. It's like, ah, so hard. But learning how to manage these resources well, that sets us up to be effective in our life, to help accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in our life. And so you may be uh, stabilizing, and your hope in God is growing. 
It's, it's a lot of work to have that discipline. Why would you do that? Because you, you want to please your father. Yeah, but who's going to take care of you? My father. I'm hoping in the giver. A little bit less than the gift. And then there's, sur- there's surrendering. And surrendering is where you say, I am going to give the first and the best to God. God has a lot to say about it. There were some passages I, I didn't do today because I thought they were a little bit long. But basically it's this. I get paid each month. Some of you get paid twice a month. And when I get paid, I understand that the job I have, the strength I have to do it, the gifts or talents or experience that I can pull it off, what I have comes from God. And God doesn't want what he gives me to get a hold of my heart. And so he has given me the ability to give back to him. He doesn't need it. It's not like God is hard up there looking for some cash under the couch, right? But he has given me an opportunity to express my devotion to him. And that's called the first fruits. The very first thing I get, I give to him to say, you're number one in my life. And it's hard to get to surrendering. But as you get to surrendering, there's a whole new world that opens up to you. As your heart is reordered and your loves are reordered and you begin to be able to be used by God to accomplish his mission, that's what you were made for. It's what I was made for. That's the real life. But you have to ask God to help you. And it takes time. And then finally, there's sacrificing. Sacrificing is above and beyond. It's what Jesus did. It's what the Father did. The one and only Son was given so that you and I could have. Jesus became poor even though he was rich so that through his poverty, we who were poor could become rich. That's the kind of sacrificial, sacrificial loving and giving that God does. And that's above and beyond. So you may be in one of these places. And I would encourage you to take that, that handout that you have and either put a circle around it or in your mind say, here's where I'm at and here's where I want to be. Because you, you don't want your hope to shift, right? You want to get your hope back in the right place. It's 2020. It's a new year. New Year's resolutions. What better resolution than to allow God to work in our hearts and to help us become more and more like our Heavenly Father? So take a look at that and see where am I at and where do I need to make that shift? I'd like to finish with a story. And uh, it's a story about a church that I was really inspired by. Um, in Seattle. In the 1990s, Seattle was one of the least churched cities in America. And that just means people didn't know Jesus in Seattle. It's like a place where you wouldn't find a whole lot of, of Christians. And that breaks heart, God's heart. And um, so the Lord started a church in Seattle, and it was mostly reaching out to young, educated men, which is a group that doesn't usually show up to churches, honestly. And so God was doing something unusual, and He was winning people to Christ, and these people's lives were being transformed. And the place they were meeting at was not unlike this, and then they lost it, and they couldn't meet there, and it was like, whoa. There were about 200 people, and uh, there was a church on the other side of town. This was a church that was owned by an older congregation. And at one time, in a generation past, it was a larger church. They had bought this property. It was fully paid for. God had done amazing things through this church in the past, but now it had dwindled down to about 20 people, and they were, they were older. And rather than holding on to this gift, they decided they wanted to give it to a church who was accomplishing God's mission in this generation. And so they gave this church and this building, it was debt-free to this, this young church here. And it was amazing. And God continued to work, and he continued to save people. But the building was old. It was dilapidated. They needed to do updates. They didn't have the money. One of the couples in the church had $200,000 in savings. They asked God what, what he wanted them to do with it, which is a terrifying question. <laughs> and uh, they got to the place where they were confident and convinced that this was where God wanted them to take this money. They were going to invest it in heaven, not on earth. 
And so they gave it to the church to do renovations, which they did do, expanded the children's space, expanded the parking lot, and God continued to win people to Christ, people who were very far from God, brought close and brought into the family of God through this ministry. And it grew. And it grew from 20, 200 to 400 to 800. So they got to this place where they were actually outgrowing this space, which is, which is great. You know, churches, we want to we tell people about Jesus. We want them to come around. We want to help them grow, reach out to their families. I mean, we believe this stuff, you know. And so this church was looking for a place that would fit them. And so they found this great location at the heart of Seattle. But it was, it was too much. So they scraped all they could together, and there was still 100 grand short. So they showed up at this location one night to pray and just ask God to provide. And one of the guys there said, I am going to match whatever we raise tonight. I feel like God wants me to give, and I will match whatever total we make. And so they start calling, making phone calls, and taking out their checkbooks and making pledges and like thinking, okay, what can I go without? And this group raised about $56,000 in a little more than an hour. And the guy matched it, and they, they purchased this property, and the gospel continued to move out in Seattle. And within 15 years, a little bit more than 15 years, the Lord had saved 10,000 people in Seattle. It was amazing. But it was possible in part because all those people, all those cheerful, generous givers, whose hearts had been made set right, whose hope was in the right place, these people, they had a part of that story. Now, were those investments worth it? Would it have been better to keep that money? I just, I'm inspired by that. May God work through all the churches in California, in all the 50 states around the world. May he make us cheerful givers and do amazing things in the lives of people like he's done in our life. God wants us to be cheerful givers. But we can't if we let our hope shift from the giver to the gift. So today, as a wrap up, where is your hope? And how can you this year make another shift? I'd like to encourage you to take out your connection card. I'd like you to look at some of these next practical steps that you could take. And uh, as I go through these, these are a way to kind of channel the energy of, of what you've been taught and what you're thinking into some sort of step you can take in faith and obedience. The first one is, I've tried to share with you what it means to be a Christian today. We always try to do that because uh, Jesus Christ has saved us and we want to share the news about how he can save everybody. And so you may have heard that today and it clicked for you in, in a way that it hasn't before and you you realize you want a relationship with God. You want to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to encourage you to make him your Lord and Savior today. Don't wait. And if, you, if you're ready to do that, we would love to help you and uh, pray with you and help you take your first steps in your new relationship with God. Second thing is there's a lot of verses in this message, and we do this on purpose. We don't necessarily go verse by verse through the Bible. And one of the reasons why we don't is because we want to help you get a sense of what the scripture says on a topic so that you can obey it, so that you can apply it. The blessing is in the doing. And so we could go through verse by verse, which is, which is fantastic, but instead what we're trying to do is pull together God's mind on a topic so that we can choose to begin to live it out. And so I would encourage you to read the verses. Ask God to change your heart. He's been working on my heart all the time that I've been working on this message. And then finally, identify one way you can make a shift. And choose to grow from struggling and stabilizing to surrendering and sacrificing. I hope this has encouraged you. And uh, I'm going to pray because that's the thing we need most as we wrap up. Father, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to become like you. We thank you that you love us and that you sent your son Jesus to rescue us and to bring us back into the family. 
and to begin to transform our hearts. And we know, we truly know, that our treasure, our time, our talent, that really shows us what's in our heart, what we love most. And we, we want to love you more, but it's hard, really hard. And so we just ask that you would begin to change our minds through the word, through the scriptures that we've read, and then you begin to rearrange our hearts and help us this year to grow in our faith, in our cheerful giving. And we, we ask that you do amazing things through our church and that we could push your, your mission forward in this area, that you use us this year to bring new people to your son. We, we, we ask that you bring 125 new people this year to Church in the Valley so that those people can also hear about how much God loves them and the work that he can do in their lives. We, we want to be a part of that, and we can't do it without you. So we ask that you help us in Jesus' name. Amen.